1 Corinthians 14. Before I get there, let me just say this about, you know, yesterday and today we hear uh, more political news and maybe you're, you're withered by that or whatever. And I think we're going into a season here where uh, we could get all kinds of shaken. So let me just say this to you. Um, I, I appreciate people who are activists, people who address needs that need to be addressed and all that kind of stuff and injustices and whatever and all that stuff. But I, I don't really have, that's not my calling, so I don't really do that. I appreciate some of the outflows of that stuff. Um, but I will tell you this, when you're really close to stuff like that or when you're watching news all the time about who's in and who's out and what did this person say, and that person say, it, it can very quickly start to feel like your hope is in um, what happens in our country. Your hope is not in how America goes, because America goes, right? You know, your hope is in, because all the countries of the world go, right? Are you with me? We, we studied eschatology the first couple uh, weeks of the year. This world is passing away, and the, the kingdom of God is going to be ushered in. And no matter what you believe about how that happens, God wins in the end, and we're on His team, we're His children. So, you know... I, I find it ironic, all the hand-wringing that happens amongst Christians today, not because there aren't moral issues in America, there are, but uh, we act as though, you know, the, the vibrancy of our Christianity depends upon the freedom we have in America. And I kind of, I roll back in my head to first century Christianity, and I think, if, we've, if they were here, what would they think? You know, what would, like... Do you think that they were wringing their hands about the moral decay of the Roman society and what impact it was going to have on their Christianity and their freedoms? They didn't have any freedoms. They just shared Christ, and then they died for it, and that was it. Like, I, I think we've become so like uh, accustomed to freedom defining our American Christianity. We've got to get off of that. Your Christianity is defined by the fact that Jesus died for you, and gave his life and rose again to give, give you new life and a future and a hope and an eternity. Your hope is in heaven and not in this earth. Your help is from heaven. I will lift up my eyes into the hills from where comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. My help does not come from the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or America or my religious li- liberties, right? So every now and then, we're just going to kind of come back to that. Because I appreciate all the stuff that, that that means, and that is big impacts on our society and our economy and all that stuff. But don't let your heart be troubled about it because it's part of the business of this world that is passing away. And it's important in its scheme, but it, once it usurps your eternal view, you've, you've fallen prey. So don't, Okay. And yes, it looks like right now, whoever's our president, we're going to be like shaking our heads. Yes, it looks like that. Okay, I got you. But we'll all shake our heads together and then we'll all walk by faith, trusting the Lord, right? Have you ever had a bad boss? You know, you're like shaking your head every time you walk into work. You ever had a bad boss? Yeah, of course. So what do you do about that? Do you, 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 you know, wring your hands and cry out to God in crisis every day or you just walk by faith and say, God, you've got me, right? Yeah. I think there's a lot of examples for us to walk by faith. So I'm just going to encourage you to walk by faith um, and, and have a voice and vote and do all the things you need to do, but do it in proportion to what it is. Don't make it more than what it is and don't let it steal the peace that you should have as a child of God. All right, 1 Corinthians 14, we've been looking at uh, Paul's discussion about the gifts of tongue and specifically about the, how the gifts of tongue flow out into a worship service. So tell me, what have we learned about church services so far in 1 Corinthians 14? What have we learned about how to take what he's talking about here and what should that mean for what church services should be like today here in 2016? 
just generalized principles, but what does that mean they should be like? Any ideas? Okay, they should be encouraging. Part of the reason we get together is so that we can encourage one another. Because it's easy to be discouraged in this world. If, you, if you're around people who are children of the darkness and, and celebrate uh, wickedness and evil, and all, it can be heavy. So we need to encourage each other. Okay, good. What else, Lois? Okay, the, the message should be clear. Okay, the, it shouldn't be hard to figure out what we're talking about. It should be clear. You shouldn't need a master's degree to follow Christ. Okay? Serving. We should be a servant to one another, right? We, we come to church not to be served, but to serve. Right? And the more that that happens, the more, like that's the, the, the nuts and bolts, the practical nature of what Jesus said, this is the earmark of Christianity, love one another and people will know that you're mine. So as I serve, as I have a desperation to serve other people and people walk in and they, they can't believe the responsiveness to one another, they go, man, these people really care about each other. What is that? How did that happen? You know, and they, they, it kind of puts it in front of them. What's that mean about it? Okay, so, and there, I'm sure there's other things, but we've kind of seen that, that it, it talks to us, whether you believe in tongues or not, it talks to us about our church services today. And it talks to us about spiritual gifts. The gift of tongues that the Corinthians wanted to be involved in and they wanted to have was a gift that was given by the Spirit of God for the purposes of God. And Paul keeps coming back. And if, if we could sum up one thing that Paul has to say about the gift of tongues and, and his criticism of how they're using it, what would, Paul, what would the point of Paul's argument be so far in 1 Corinthians 14 about how they're using the gift of tongues? What's that? They like to show off, okay? Any other thoughts on that? Right. So the reality is they, they are blinded to what it was really given for. Their idea of this gift is so people will see me as someone who's big and important. They will think that I'm spiritual. They will think that I'm powerful. They will think that I'm significant. They're using a gift for themselves, but the undercurrent of it is they're refusing to use it for what God gave it for. God gave us spiritual gifts so that we could build up one another not myself. All right. So we have to take that and apply that across the board. The gifts, the spiritual gifts that you've been given, God did not give them to you randomly and he did not give them to you purposelessly. He gave them to you to use to build up the body of Christ, whether in a formal role or in an informal role. And I think sometimes we lose that. Sometimes you think that what you need is like a, a name tag, a greeter's tag, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a, a worship team member, or something like that. I need a title in order for me to use my spiritual gift. You do not need a title to use your spiritual gift. Your spiritual gifts are yours no matter what label is on you, and you are able to use them. So if I'm a teacher, and I'm not a pastor in a church, what's going to happen to me? Well, I can tell you I've done it before. What's going to happen is I'm going to bump into people and I'm going to find myself teaching people one-on-one. I'm going to find myself teaching in a small group. I'm going to find myself using my gifts towards my family to build my family. Like I'm going to find a way to use my gift to build up others in the Spirit of God, whether it's in a a big format or a small format, official format or a non-official one, doesn't matter because it's the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God finds a way to use the gifts that He gave. So as we kind of go through it, Paul, you know, he was, he was talking to them about 
prophecy is better than tongues. Tongues is limited. And so then he gave us a couple examples that we looked at last time about musical instruments. And he was talking about how there has to be a distinction in the notes in order for us to hear, to understand the tune, the melody. It can't be a garbled mess. It has to have a discernible, uh, uh, logical, progressive melody that is, that is musically understandable in order for music to fulfill its function. Similarly, a communication gift, and I think that's one of the points of this whole thing, tongues is a communication gift. It was meant to communicate the word of God to the people of God. And as a communication gift, if it is nonsense, if no one can understand it, it loses its ability. It's, it's like a, a, a band playing together and everybody just plays whatever song in whatever key they want at whatever time they want. It's just mayhem. It doesn't do anything and no one can join in. No one can get anything from it musically. You just have to endure it. And that's kind of what the Church of Corinth was doing. They just had to endure everybody's show uh, of the gift of tongues. Then he used the illustration of a trumpet sounding a clear call, a trumpet for battle to tell the troops what to do, move left or move right or advance or retreat or hold your ground or whatever. The, The signal from the trumpet had to be clear so that the people knew what to do. And if the trumpet played but nobody knew what the signal meant, it was, a use, it was a waste of breath. It was a waste of sound. Similarly, if tongues are used, but nobody knows what they mean, it's wasted sound. Okay? Similarly, if your gift sits dormant off to the side or you do it just for yourself over here and don't give it to anyone else, let's say you have a gift of knowledge, which most people believe is the ability to understand things from Scripture, to understand how they connect to each other and make knowledge, special knowledge from God. You have that, and you just use it in your own study all the time, and you never share it with anyone else. What, What good does that do? You love it, awesome, but what about, why did God give you that gift? He wants you to find a a pathway to use it, right? And so that idea is not just about tongues, but about everything. We have to make a clear call. It's got to be understandable. Um, he, He gets down to the end of that talking about all words have meaning without having uh, the understandability of words. You speak into the air. You, you waste your, your breath speaking, okay? And so we ended by talking about there's a point to what we do together in a church service. Do you know the point of why we get together at church? Do you understand it? Is it clear when you come together on Sunday morning what we're going to do, what we're shooting for here as a church? Is it clear or is it fuzzy? Because however fuzzy it is, we want to do everything we can to make it clear. We're here so that you will worship, know, serve, live for, follow Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. And so everything we do, we're trying to kind of point the attention that direction. Um, and in lots and lots of different ways, we're trying to point the attention that direction. And so it's very important that we know the message and that we're on purpose in how we communicate it. So uh, verse, um, verse 12, uh, let's pick up there and we'll go, down to, um, we'll go down to verse 19. It says this, so it is with you, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray so that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else 
who is now put in the position of an inquirer, say amen to your thanksgiving since they don't know what you're saying. You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Okay, so again, we have the thrust and we can see uh, that the Corinthian church really struggled with um, over-inflating and overusing the gift of tongues. And Paul is trying to confront them on this. He says to them, since you are eager for spiritual gifts, try to excel in the ones that build up the church. Strive to excel in those ones that build up the body of Christ. And so the emphasis in church is on service to one another. And so application-wise, here's the question we have to look in the mirror and ask ourselves. How passionate are you about building up your brothers and sisters in Christ? How much does it matter to you that you are a part in whatever role God has for you to build up the faith, their relationship with Christ, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to comfort them? How much passion do you have for that? Not how much do you mentally acknowledge, yeah, that's important. Yeah, I think that's important. How much does it matter to your soul? When you show up on Sunday, when, when you go through the week, is there a passion in you or is it academic? Does that make sense? That to me is what Paul is driving at here. If you want to be a church, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, since you love getting together and using the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in the ones that build up the church, not the ones that build up you. And so you come to church and you let the body of Christ be an opportunity for you to be selfless, for you not to be self-centered, self-interested, self-focused, but to be others-focused. It's not that you should do it to the destruction of your own soul, never should be to the destruction of your own soul, but selfishness is to the destruction of your own soul. When everything's about what do I think and what does I feel, what's it make me think about me, what's it make other people think about me, when all of it's about me, 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 that destroys your soul. And so we come to church and it's an opportunity for us to be here for others. And so what is, where is our passion for that? You know, and so what Paul's saying is the gift of tongues, the gift of languages, they were given as gifts of the spirit to communicate a meaning, not to be an emotional experience for the speaker and not to make the speaker look superior or spiritual. Does that make sense to you? In other words, whatever gifts you've been given, they have not been given to you so that you can feel good about yourself, so that you can enjoy your experience. It is, you can enjoy your experience and that's a, that's a cool thing and a nice thing, but that's not why they were given to you. It's kind of a byproduct of why they were given to you. You with me? If they, if they were given to you for you, then you don't need the, the body of Christ. They were given to you to serve others. And so they weren't about trying to make yourself feel a certain way to be filled up with joy or whatever. They were about serving one another. And they says this, verse 13, For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. That's, a, that's an incredible statement. 
The one who speaks in tongues. So the, the uh, church service starts up and, and someone in the, in the power of the Spirit has a message from the Spirit and they stand up at, at their appropriate turn to speak in tongues in a language they've never studied, in a language that they don't know, but they are going to speak a language and give a message from God in, in this language. And what does Paul say they should pray? So do you see how that flips the focus? It's, oh, look at this. Look at what God's doing. Look at the power of God in this. Isn't this cool? Isn't this awesome? Listen to the message I got from God. No. You should pray that you could interpret it. So where's the passion in that? Why would someone pray that that there would be an interpretation? For others. Oh, I would hate for this to just go... It's a nothing. I would hate for this to be nothing. If God's given it to me, he must want somebody, he must want us to hear something from this. I want us to hear what God has for us. Someone, please, Lord, please let someone interpret this. You see the, the pleading, the, the pray that someone would interpret. There's a passion for it to build up the body of Christ. Not to be like, did you see what I just did? Wasn't that cool? The power of God's on me. You can't argue that. Like, it's not that. It's, Oh, man, we need the message from God. What was that message? Please, Lord, let someone interpret it. And so I think there's application of that and in, in even in our own lives. How many times have you been um, in a discussion where um, it becomes obvious that you've just misunderstood each other, but you're already so heated that you just don't care? You know? Oh, Lord, please help us understand each other. We waste enough energy on things we actually disagree about. Please don't let us waste energy on stuff we don't disagree about. <laughs> Please let us understand each other, right? And so here it is, this, this language, pray that someone would interpret, okay? Now, then Paul goes off into this, this discussion, and I'm going to tell you that this discussion, I think, because we've been going through the flow, makes a lot more sense. But there's a lot of people that would take what we're about to talk about as Paul's endorsement of tongues as a prayer language. How many of you have heard of tongues being used as a prayer language? Okay, a lot of you. Now, I don't know if all of you, what all of you believe in it. It's not, to me, it's not a big case. If you believe in tongues as a prayer language, so be it. Praise God, use that, whatever. Uh, But I'm going to tell you where I come from on this, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, and I don't mean to be dismissive, but as the logical flow flows through here, he starts to talk about, you know, when I pray, Verse 14, when I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So Paul says, when I pray in a tongue. So who's he talking to when he speaks in prayer? He's talking to God. Does God understand the tongue? Sure. So Paul is giving this hypothetical case. When I pray and I'm using the gift of tongues, I talk to God and God understands me. He's giving that. Now, is he endorsing tongues as a gift, as a ministry to be used in prayer here? I don't think so, and I'll tell you why. But even in that sentence, what does he say about it? My my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Does that sound like, so go do that? And as you continue, it gets even worse for that kind of case. And what I would say is this. Those who believe in speaking in tongues and prayer, this is where they come from. Verse uh, verse 2, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. And then down here, for when I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays but my mind is unfruitful. Those Out of the New Testament, that's it on tongues as a prayer language. 
which is why we don't major on it. <laughs> if you believe in it, have at it. it I don't believe in it, but uh, if, God, if I'm wrong, so be it. God can certainly correct me and has on many things in the past. But what I'm saying is, let's at least be honest about how much is there. That's it. It's those two verses, okay? And, and neither of them are in a particularly teaching moment about um, how tongues functions or what tongues does. It's off it to the side. It's like he's talking about something and he's using this as an example of it. And then off to the side, he talks about, so if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So the thrust of that is, should, is he saying, so go run out and speak in tongues in prayer? No. He's saying, do you see the limitations of this ministry? Why are you so infatuated with it, making it your main evidence that the spirit is in you? I think what Paul is, is getting at, and I don't know... Obviously, he knows the Corinthians because he was with them for a while. Um, so I, I, I think he has a, a sense of trying to get through to them. But I think what he's trying to, to, to say to them is that the gifts of the Spirit are enough in and of themselves no matter what gift it is. Whether it's the gift of generosity or the gift of administration or the gift of preaching or the gift of prophecy or whatever gift it is, all of it is an evidence of the power of God. If you rewound back to chapter 12 when we went through chapter 12, that was all what it was about. It doesn't matter if it's a hand or a foot. It's all part of the body. And God's the one who gives each gift and God's the one who empowers each gift. So it's all an evidence of the power of God. Let's not take one gift because it's kind of like, ooh, eye-popping and, and wow, look at that, and say that's the gift that really matters. That person must be really spiritual. So maybe let's pretend the gift of tongues never happened. What other gifts might people assume that if you use that gift, you must be spiritual and God must really be, have a special work in you? Any other gifts? Singing? Preaching? What's that? Teaching? Healing? So why is it that those gifts, and those are, you know, singing and teaching and preaching and healing and all that. Why is it that those gifts are seen as, well, you must be close to God? Sometimes it's because you can't do it. But, but let's say, for example, I can't do the, the mercy gift, the gift of empathy and sympathy and, and comfort to someone who is broken. I can't do that, but I don't look at the person who can and say, you must be really spiritual. They're visible. And usually public. With lots of people paying attention. Right? Singing and teaching and, and healing. Like, it's a... It's eye-popping to our flesh. And so therefore, we make this assumption that if you can do that, you must be really spiritual, you must be really close to God. Since when did God give out spiritual gifts and use them according to whether or not we really measured up? Is that why they're called spiritual, what are they called, spiritual what? Gifts, not spiritual urns, right? Not spiritual wages, spiritual gifts. God gives them to the unworthy, which is every one of us. And any time any spiritual gift is empowered in us, it is an evidence of the power of God, not the power of us. And I think that's what Paul is trying to get at here, but he, it feels like he knows they're so stuck on this tongues thing they can't get off of it. So he starts to give this hypothetical about, so let's say you're using your tongues off by yourself. Now, I think from what we've read so far, how many Corinthians were interested in using tongues as a prayer language between them and God in their closet? Yeah. 
In the flow of this, that doesn't fit at all, right? So he's using this example of even if my concerns for how you're using tongues weren't applicable at all, you're off in a closet, you're not in front of anyone, so there's no temptation for you to feel like puff up your pride. You're off hidden praying. Okay, even if I pray in a tongue in prayer, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And so he starts to say, my problem with how you're using tongues is that it's limited without the gift, the complementary gift of interpretation. And it's been given to the body of Christ for building up the body of Christ. And so without interpretation, you've, you've really neutralized that gift but you've neutralized it because it makes it more spectacular when you can speak and you're the only one in the Spirit and nobody can understand. Because if somebody else stands up and in the Spirit interprets what you said in the power of the Spirit, now there's a partnership there. We weren't all that interested in... Well, according to Paul, but according to them, I, there's a stage and there's one person on it. <laughs> And if you come up to interpret, whoa, 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 I'm the one who got the special language gift, right? And so this whole thing that, that's happening here, Paul is trying to point to them and say, you've missed the whole point. You've taken a gift that God gave you, and you've tried to truncate the point of why God gave it so that you can use it to make yourself feel big. But it's not about you feeling big. It's about you serving the cause of Christ. And so that's kind of how he goes at this. He says, you know, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now, I'm going to go, go through a couple of the, the thought processes that are on this. So, like I said before, some people believe, um, and you may be one of them, that tongues is a gift in the spirit where I speak to God, but I don't know what I say. I'm just talking in a tongue to God. All right, so arguments for that. Let's say arguments for that. Are there times when I am talking to God in my prayer life and I don't exactly know what to say, and I, I speak to God without really speaking to God, with more of a, uh, a moan or a groaning or a... You know what I mean? You're, you can't quite put it into words. You know, the last week was, was like that with, with uh, Jonah Pat a lot. It was, you know, Lord, we, we, we stood around her bed and we held our hands together and, and I'm going to pray. And, you know, it's just like, oh, Lord. And I don't, that feeling that I want to talk to God about, I, I know what it is, but I can't put words around it so everybody can understand. So there's a groaning to it, okay? So there are times where what Paul says here about my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, you can kind of make an argument for that. But I would argue this. I would say, I kind of know, even though I can't get coherent words to put around it, I really know, even now, I really know what I was trying to communicate. I just can't express it verbally. Paul's point is that when I pray in tongues in the Spirit, I pray and my spirit prays, but I am unaware of the thrust of what I'm saying. My mind is not engaged because I don't understand it. I don't have a clue about what I'm saying. Does that make sense? All right, some people believe that Paul is using the word spirit here in, in its other normal meaning. The word spirit in the New Testament in Greek is the word pneuma, which means breath. In fact, if you remember at the end of John, when Jesus saw his disciples after his resurrection, he breathed on them and said, receive the spirit. He was using 
the picture of breath and talking about the spirit, which is the same word. So it was like a, a, a connection there. I breathe the, the spirit, the breath of God into you. And the spirit, the breath, right? And so when he talks here, he's talking, you pray in your spirit, you pray with your breath. That's what he, some people believe. He's saying you breathe prayers, but you don't understand them. Um, and they would connect that. And I don't know that this is legit or not. I'm just telling you what people, some people believe. Um, they connect that to the pagan rituals of the Greeks who believed that when someone was communicating with the gods, they would often be caught up in a trance. And one of the evidences of that is they would speak gibberish. Um, the Oracle at Delphi, I don't know if that rings a bell for any of you guys, but that's an ancient, famous, you know, soothsayer connection with God or whatever. And when they went to talk to the Oracle at Delphi, she would fall into a trance. And falling into a trance, she would say things and it was non-understandable. It was basically insanity. Um, it was just gibberish. And then the priests would tell you the meaning of what she said or whatever. So, so you would get that. And that kind of idea, because again, we're in Corinth, so we're in Greece here. That kind of idea is that maybe the, Corinth, the, the Corinthian church, the, the, uh, the church of Corinth, took this pagan idea of speaking in a heavenly language and transferred it over to the church and thus perverted this actual spiritual gift of tongues. Some people might believe that. Uh, others believe that Paul's talking about experience where believers praying to God with their spirit in a tongue, but their mind is not engaged. I would say I do not believe in it, and here's my reasoning why. Number one, like I said, this concept is only found these two times in Scripture, in the same chapter. And it's found as an aside in a discussion where Paul is definitely not advocating, please use tongues in prayer. He, it's, it's, so, it's so much of a restraining discussion on tongues that it's hard to say, well, here's Paul launching us into using you know, tongues as a prayer language. But even more than that, I would say this. The whole point that he's making here about tongues is that tongues is given as a gift for what purpose? To do what? To build up the church. And in my prayer language, as I talk to God by myself, it is the only spiritual gift ever mentioned in Scripture where I should use it for myself, by myself, and build up myself. The only one. The whole thrust of chapter 12 and chapter 13 and chapter 14 is... Your gifts have been given to you to serve the body of Christ. And now what people will do is say, well, guess what? There's a prayer language that I can speak in tongues. And Paul's whole point here is that would only build up one person, you. I find it really difficult to believe that what he's saying is, so go do that. That's legit. That's why God gave that gift. Does that make sense? I'm not here to start a war and I'm not going to fight. If you think something different, so be it. But I just want to tell you what I think about that because I just don't think it fits with the context. I don't think it fits with the flow of his argument and I don't think it fits, fits with the, the, the whole of New Testament scripture. So Paul goes on from there. And what he says is, so what am I going to do? So what shall I do? Verse 15. I will, what's the answer to that for Paul? I will pray with my spirit, but... I will also pray with my understanding. So how's he going to pray? Your 
He's going to pray in his own language. Some would say, well, he says, what he's saying there is that sometimes he's going to pray in tongues with his spirit, and sometimes he's going to pray with his mind in his own language. I don't think so. I think what he's saying is, when I go to pray, I'm going to pray with my spirit and my mind. I'm going to put them together, and I can do that in my own language. I don't need to speak in a tongue to talk to God. I don't, I'm not closer to God by speaking in a tongue to God. That, that, I think that's what Paul's saying here. Okay, so he says, you know, I will do this. I will speak and I will sing with my spirit. I will also sing with my understanding. And then he gives this, we start to turn this whole thing into what what it's going to be this week and next week and really the remainder of chapter 14. He says, otherwise, if I don't pray with my understanding and my spirit, if I only pray with my spirit, how will an inquirer, Someone in the position of an inquirer say amen. So now he's talking about, no longer he's talking about in a prayer closet. He's talking about in a public setting with, with people, whether it's a small group or in a home or before a meal or, or a church or whatever. Someone else is watching, right? And this word inquirer, uh, it's a word that's also been translated seeker. It's a word that can mean unlearned or ignorant. Uh, it, actually, the word is idiotes. Um, so you get the idea it means without knowledge, right? Um, and so the idea here, the NIV translator took it to mean the unconverted but interested. It's not someone who is uh, disconnected from God and unconcerned with that and, and in rebellion, but it's not someone who is fully initiated into the faith. It is this person who's kind of like a seeker. They're kind of like on their way. They're part of what's going on in the church. They're hearing what's happening, but they listen to you pray. They're watching your relationship with God and they listen to you pray and you pray in this tongue and they go, what is that? I don't know what that is. That kind of idea. And that's what the NIV translators take that word as. I don't know that I think that's the best translation because what are they looking for that guy to say, that, that seeker to say? Yeah, why, why do we say that? Amen. Amen. So when we pray, most of the time, we, we close with the word amen. Okay, some of, there's some of that in the Bible and whatever. What is amen? What does that mean? Does anybody know? So be it. Agree, I agree. So be it. Let that be so. That is the truth, and let that truth stand. That, that's kind of the idea. So if you're sitting in church and we're talking, um, you know, on, like on Sunday, we're talking about uh, sexual immorality, and, and I'm saying something, and someone says, amen, what are they trying to say? That's true. Let that be so. Let everyone know that's so. And there is a sense of a community, uh, like in, a, in a, uh, a usable way, coming together about this truth, like expressing this truth together. Someone's teaching it, but everybody's agreeing with it, okay? And the idea at the end of a prayer, sometimes, you know, as, as someone's praying or we're in prayer huddle or whatever, as someone's praying, I'll, be, I'll just say, yes, Lord, yes, amen. Why, why am I doing that? Because I'm joining my spirit, my, uh, my understanding with what they're saying, and I'm saying, yes, Lord, that, what they just said, yes, that's what we want you to hear from us as a group. So verbally, in a simple way, the word amen, we're joining us together, okay? So if you've ever been like, why do people keep saying this amen thing? And why do we say it at the end of prayer? It's because let it be so. In the name of Jesus, let it be so. Let that be, you know? And so as we come to God, that, that's an expression. So what he's saying is this, this idiotes, this, this 
uh, unlearned, uh, ignorant person, um, they can't say, let it so be. Well, why would I expect some you know, unsafe person to come in and say, yes, I agree with that, that's true. Why would, they, why would I say that? Yes, what you want, yes. But it, but it seems to me that the pattern of this person that he's talking about is a pattern of a person who would normally be ready to do that, except for, I don't understand what you're saying. He's unaware of what you're saying. He's in a position of an ignorant person because you're talking He has no idea what you're saying, so he cannot agree. He cannot join with you. So what have we created in the body of Christ? Confusion? Separation? Division? We're not, like, if we all, let's pray. We all join our hearts in prayer. We all bow together. And as I pray, you hear what I pray, and you say, yes, Lord, yes. As we do that, we're joined together. Uh, Let's all pray, and I start blah, 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 and you... You're like peeking out of your eyes and you're like looking at people next to you. Like, what? what's he talking about? That's the idea. Normally, we would expect that, yes, we're all in. And we all say, let it be so. But when, when I start to do this thing that nobody understands, it disables me to be connected to you so that as a body, we can't function together in prayer, in worship, in teaching. Because you don't understand what I'm saying. And so we've disconnected. Instead of building the body of Christ and edifying and encouraging the body of Christ, we've confused the body of Christ and we've made people think, well, what's wrong with me that I can't understand what God's saying? And so I think when Paul talks about it here, what he's saying is, how, how will you, uh, someone who's in the position of an inquirer or someone who's in the position of an unlearned person or an unknowing person say amen to your thanksgiving since they don't know what you're saying? He's talking about to me, he's talking about believers, which is what he's been talking about this whole time. The, the gift of tongues is given for the church in relation to believers to build believers in their faith. And what he's saying here is believers can't be built when we're disconnected from each other, when there are barriers between us, when we don't understand each other. And we could, but we choose not to. We choose to do things that are confusing, things that are unclear. And so he says, you give thanks, but it helps no one else. No one else is edified, the word he's been using about church, brothers and sisters in Christ over and over again. You see that linguistically, when we talk about hermeneutics here, we talk about how we interpret the Bible. See, he keeps coming back to that word edified. He comes back to that word edified being built up in relation to what group of people? The church, believers, which is why I would say the person here that can't say amen is a person who just doesn't know what's being said, but they would normally want to be like amen, but they can't. And so therefore, they are not built up. But that's why the gift of tongues was given, to build them up because they're part of the body of Christ and that the body of Christ is served by the gifts that Christ gives. Does that make sense? I think that's, when you go through that passage, that's what Paul's doing there. Okay, any questions about that before I kind of move on to the last part here? Thoughts, ideas? Okay, go ahead, Lois. Go ahead, Lois. Yes. That is the implication here, yes. Yeah. The implication is that they don't have an idea of what they're saying. Yeah. Now, when you go back to Acts 2, you could argue that the apostles understood the message they were trying to give and God transformed it into a language. But 
even in that context, the idea is I'm thinking in my own language, but I'm speaking in another language. I don't understand the words I'm saying. I know what I'm trying to say, but I... Like, so in the day of Pentecost, it seems a little different than what he's talking about here, where it's this, this message comes on me and I speak it, but I don't... Like, if you had asked the apostles what were you trying to say, they would have been able to tell you. But this seems like, unless you have an interpreter, you're helpless. It's even lost to you. So in this context, it's, yeah, the, the interpreter is necessary for anybody, even the speaker, to understand what's being said. Some of what you see as we pick songs in church is we're trying to pick songs that are accessible in that way. Um, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with people who sing a lot of hymns and stuff, but I, I would say to any church that, that that's your main diet, recognize some of the barriers you put in people's ways, and you have to find a way to, to deal with that. Because some of the... the, the uh, terminology and the, and the structures of words and stuff like that, people are like, I don't know what this means. I'm singing along, but I don't know what this means. And you lose the opportunity to, to speak to someone. And there's lots of hymns that aren't like that, but there's some hymns that are. Um, you know, I think, you know, if I asked you what a bulwark was, you might be, you might struggle to figure out, you don't have a specific picture of that, you know. Um, there's, I mean, that kind of stuff, There's there's a lot of old English language and some of that stuff. And so even there, we're trying to be communicative, not just different languages, but even terminology. You know, today, if I use the word gay versus 50 years ago, if I use the word gay, there's a different connotation, you know? And so uh, being aware of that and not just being oblivious because, well, this is, you know, tried, tried and true song from, from history. So, right. Yeah. Yes. I agree. I agree. So the argument would be that either these folks who do have the gift are mimicking the gift in their flesh for the sake of glory and applause, and therefore that's why there's no interpreter, or, as the rest of the chapter might suggest, there's so many speaking in tongues and no one wants to wait their turn that they are shoving the interpreters aside who could come and do it. And that's why he says, so pray that someone can interpret. Be ready, be eager for someone to interpret instead of saying, no, 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 that's just the normal stuff. That's just... So either one of those could be the application, but I agree with you. It, it is inconsistent for God to provide the message without the interpreter. Um, and I don't think we're praying that God would provide an interpreter because God's like, oh, oh, do you want an interpreter? Okay, I guess I'll send one then. You know what I mean? But I think that's why. It's, it's the, the, it says later on that the gifts of the Spirit are under control of the Spirit. The spirits of the prophet are under, subject to the control of the prophet. Um, all of you can prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. In other words, you are able, even if God gives you this gift, to hold back until it's the proper moment and to allow space for interpretation, but you don't want to. And why not? Well, that would make me look less superior. Yes, that's what I'm saying. It may be, that's, some people believe that this is a, a mimicked gift and it's unaccountable because nobody knows what's being said. So I can speak in gibberish and there's no interpreter coming up and so it doesn't matter. I can say whatever, I can make whatever sounds I want and the, much like the trumpet that sounds, makes a sound but nobody knows what it means, that's what they're doing. Yeah. Lucy. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yes. And and that would be a way that that gift serves the body, you know, because it's a spectacular thing. It deals with the humanity where we would tend to drift, but as God pulls it out in the middle of the service, everybody pay, perks up and pays attention, and God would use it for that purpose, but with an interpretation, right? Absolutely. Good point. Good point. Yep. Yep. So it would be inconsistent of God. It would not be good of God to give a gift and then not allow for it. That how quickly we take the things that God gives yep. that He intends for good to serve and go well, and use this for myself. What we talked about on Sunday is a perfect example of that. God gave the gift of sexuality. So man said, Thank you very much. We'll take that and use, we'll improve upon it, God. You know, so spiritual gifts no different. Our flesh wants to take the things God gives us and improve upon them make them more usable, more palatable to us. Good. Tom. No, you can't. Yeah. Special music portion. Yeah. Yeah, if if tongues is legitimately like a prayer language gift or something you can use personally, I don't think it is, but if it is, that's a great analogy. But there's lots of things we can do in private that are the, the weightlifting part. You know, there's lots of stuff in our devotional life and learning and praying and all that stuff that is preparation for let's do this thing together. Absolutely. Yeah. Good point. Check. It, it just seems to me that, that speaking in tongues is a gift that can easily be abused. Yeah. Yes. It must be valid. It must be a real gift. It's just that man messes things up all Yes. And, and there's, you know, there's other things. I mean, you know, the whole idea of love is, is the ultimate of all gifts. But we sometimes misuse that. Yep. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. There's no doubt this is a legitimate 
gift of the Spirit. The question about whether it's for today or not aside, it is a legitimate spiritual gift. There is no doubt. In fact, the next verse, Paul says, I speak in tongues more than you all. Not, I don't think there's any sarcasm to that. I think he says, I have the gift of tongues and I use the gift of tongues. So don't tell me. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, I'm not uninitiated in this gift. Um, but yeah, we take everything. And I think that's where we want to make the application broader than just tongues. Even the, the application of how to use it broader than just tongues because the application of how to use it goes further than that into our worship services, into the way we organize our churches. The, the, you know, the, the building that we sit in is a gift, has been a gift from God to us as a church. But if it becomes the fence inside of which we stay and do our Christian stuff, we've taken a gift that God gave us and we've used it for a purpose God didn't give it to us for. Right? We get together, we build one another up, and then we go out and share the light. And this is, this is open, as open doors as we can be. You know? So we have to, in every gift that we have, use it for the glory of God and not for ourselves. So good point, good point. Um, all right, so we'll pick it up there next time. You know, I'd rather speak five words than 10,000. Uh, and then we'll get into how Paul shifts it to uh, not just what, what do tongues mean for believers, but what do tongues mean for unbelievers. Uh, and we'll pick that up next next week.